When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. to another episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. We are remote. I'm recording it uh, from my house. My guest is in her house. Uh, We've never met before. It's a bit weird. I just want to leap across and hug her. She's got a bottom behind her on a mannequin. (laughs) Um, Today's guest is a singer, songwriter, an actress, mother of one. It's Paloma Faith. Hi. Hello. (laughs) I'm so happy to be on this podcast because I listen to it a lot and I love what you're doing. The reason why I'm on it is because I wrote to my managers and was like, I want to be on this. And they're like, oh, they said you could do it. (laughs) (laughs) They've already been knocking on the door. (laughs) I'm glad you like it. Yeah, it's really refreshing and nice. I mean, I'm, as people who know about me know that I'm painfully honest. So I think that stuff's really important. Yeah. What was your childhood like? Um, I don't know because... I always say, oh, it was really magical in some ways. I think my mum was a primary school teacher and she, in Hackney, and she made things really imaginative and exciting and community and all that. But also my parents divorced when I was two and it wasn't like a simple, it was like there's alcohol and abuse involved. Yeah, so... It was like a mix of things. But I actually, when I, I've got a memory of, like, as a kid, some kid from my area asking me what my childhood was like, and I remember saying to them, like, it was amazing. It was so amazing. And then my mum came outside from the kitchen and went, I heard that, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's all about perception. <laughs> well, maybe you've just blocked out all of that stuff, though, and actually yeah, when you've taken healthy. away from it, it's the magic. Blocking. <laughs> <laughs> and did you always know that you wanted to have kids? I've been talking a lot about this recently because a lot of my new writing for my album is going to be about motherhood. Um, and it's interesting because I always wanted to have children. I'm a Cancerian, whether you believe in that or not, but it's we're maternal, apparently. 
And I've always been like somebody who's very much a caregiver. Like I had friends who've slept on my living room floor for like two years. I have like pe- I have people who've come in and out of my life, had nowhere to go, and I've sort of looked after them, and I thrive on that. My taste in men reflects that as well. I I never really been out with someone who's financially or um, ambition wise my equal. Like most of them need a good kit. And Do you I reckon it's people that, that you need, that need looking after them? Like that's I, a yeah, I do. Yeah. I naturally like that. And I felt very geared up for parenthood. And in my mind, I was going to have lots of children. And I had a really good role model because my mum was pretty amazing. Yeah, and then I had my baby and lots of things went wrong. And I was sad than I've ever been before. And I felt broken largely by the disappointment that I wasn't the mother that I thought I'd be. So what sort of mum did you think you were going to be? Well, I thought I was going to take to it like a duck to water and it was going to be very instant. Because you help people who aren't your child and it's different, it's not unconditional and it's not, you know, like they can still hurt you in a way that adults can do. And with a baby that's vulnerable and stuff, you sort of imagine that it would be like this intertwining and it's sort of strange because lots of things went wrong for me during my pregnancy and during the birth and then post-birth I had a, a infection in my womb and I was like very ill for three months I couldn't stand up so I was basically like a milk machine for three months yeah which was like the opposite of what of, of the world that I've created for myself because I think the honest truth is that like wanting to be a success and sort of play in front of 20,000 people a night is sort of a mental illness, but it's about, it's about the validation of strangers and I missed it so much and I felt completely unvalidated by motherhood in a way that I thought I'd feel validated. Yeah, that makes total sense. So how do you even at the start, going from that 20,000 like member of the audience how do you go from that and kind of go do you know what I'm actually gonna I'm gonna have a child I'm gonna how do you schedule that in like how do you kind of go I'm gonna have this massive like was it a huge thing for you to kind of go actually I'm gonna break here and and try for a child in the past I had been very fertile and I'd had moments when I was too young to have a baby where I'd not I'd chosen not to have it yeah and I was very, I felt very fertile. And when I met my partner, I felt different with him than I had with most people. Mm. I sort of had this feeling. But he's eight years, seven and a half years younger than me. So I, when I met him, I was 31. He was 24. Right. And I was very frank about it. I was like, look, I don't really want to just see how this goes. Like, I'm not really interested in that. So after like a couple of months, I just sort of came out with it. I was like, I'm not saying now, but I'm saying if this is going to happen, then that's what I want. Like, I'm not getting younger. (laughs) And he was like, just like, okay, well, you know, let's see how it goes. I was like, no, 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 cannot. (laughs) (laughs) This is what I want. Anyway, so we first started to sort of like not use contraception. And then it was very clear to me very quickly because of how fertile I'd been in the past that we had some problems. Right. And then... We actually had our baby through IVF. Ah. 
Was that an, an emotional experience, having been fertile before and then finding... It wasn't my problem, it was my partner's. Oh, okay. That was sad because I was like, I've got it all, like, I've met the one, I've got the money because I've got a career, it's a good time, I feel like I could, like, people laugh when I say this, but I, it felt like I could go on maternity leave yeah. <laughs> and, like, still afford to look after myself and my family and maybe come back to work. Yeah. Because it is still work. Like, I know that it's glamorous and lovely from the outside, but it's my job and I need to sustain it. So there was a lot of worry about that. And then... But what was it like finding out you were pregnant? Well, I had a few tries. I had an ectopic one and I had laparoscopy. And then um, the next one was right. But because it's IVF, it feels so unstable. So... Throughout my pregnancy, I felt like it was going to go wrong. It was different to, I think, if it was natural, because I'd already lost an ectopic. And then, you know, if I want another baby, I have to sort of schedule in an appointment. And at the moment, that's not looking great due yeah. to COVID. And um, yeah, and it's sort of, I mean, I don't really talk about, the fact it was, I've, I've never, this is, a, this is an exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting I, that yeah, So last year I was trying again and it's strange because I really love, I think once my daughter turned 18 months, I suddenly was like, I want another one. This is amazing. It's the best. Yeah. Then I had the miscarriage and, um, it's sort of an ongoing thing, but it feels it 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 adds another layer to things when it's not natural because it adds a lot of pressure on your relationship and it adds like ten it's tense. Yeah, and I had a miscarriage. It's not very before, sexy. <laughs> it's not se- it's not sexy at all. I think as soon as Going you know you're trying, the- it's not sexy. No, and it's like you put your legs in stirrups and they're like oh. <laughs> And now as well, like, so since, because I had a really bad birth, now I have some problems. So we've got double whammy now because I have, like, a scar that isn't healing properly from my caesarean. So it's, like, creating a bit of a toxic atmosphere, which is also quite hot. Yeah. Oh, gosh, you're sounding so (laughs) sexy right now, Paloma. So would you say that you felt, I know we're jumping around a bit, but would you say that you felt anxious the whole way through that pregnancy? Um, There was a moment like after the, I think everyone gets that when you get past three months and then you're like, oh, yes, yeah, I can breathe. I'm not, I don't feel crazy anymore. I'm kind of, it's the balancer. And then you get to six months and you feel good. And then you get into the last bit. And then uh, that's when things started to go quite wrong for me. And I think a lot of it was to do with the fact that I work too much. And I always have because I am a workaholic. And I basically, at seven months pregnant, I did a photo shoot for my album, The Architect. And I was like laying on the platform having eight gallons of honey poured over my naked pregnant body. I was like, oh, my God, I want to look like an AI, like a pregnant AI and all shiny and everything and it was such a great idea but it was really hard on my core and I was exhausted because I was pregnant and I I basically my waters broke the next day so I had a premature baby 
gosh, I didn't realize that was that early. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So did you go into hospital the next day? Did you, did you, was, was your baby born then? Or how? I was really scared. So I had premature rupture of waters. Right. And I was really scared. So of, of the baby not surviving. So I basically put myself on bed rest. I was told to go into hospital and have it induced and get the baby out. But I refused to go. I'm not condoning this behaviour. But I just had a gut feeling that that wasn't right. Right. And I was told that if I wasn't going to do that, then I could go in every 48 hours to check. So I had to go to hospital every 48 hours. And in the end, I managed to hold her in for another three weeks. So I had my baby five weeks premature in the end, and it was going to be eight. So I was glad because hilariously, the birth was horrendous. I was trying to do it naturally. I was, I was sort of holding on to some ounce of the fact that I'd had all, everything was chemical by that point. And I was like, I need to do this <laughs> in one way nature intended. And I was, I did like nine hours with no pain relief. And then they came in and they were like, this isn't happening. You're not dilating. You're really unwell, blah, blah, Everything went a bit crazy. In the end, it was 21 hours of total labor. And then, um, then this emergency cesarean, and we were both in hospital for a week. But when they took her out, they were like, had an um, incubator ready because they were like, she's premature. With her. And she was seven pounds. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice like, size oh. baby. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, oh, we don't need all that stuff. This child was cooked. <laughs> do they just do they keep you in for a week then just to make sure that everything was fine with you both? They don't they didn't really tell me much because I think they thought I was under a lot of shock and I did have a lot of psychological problems um after and I think they felt that I was a bit vulnerable. So it's only since then that I've learned that they they kept us in because of me, not because of the baby. Right. And apparently I lost a lot of blood and they were a bit worried because I went into a strange, like, quite short term, but a bit of a psychosis, like, due to lack of sleep. I'd been in labour already for, like, having contractions for seven days, and I'd slept three hours in seven days. Um, and, yeah, they I was hallucinating. I, was, I thought that they'd sewn my head onto the wrong body. <laughs> <laughs> And then they, they took the baby away and they were just like, we think you need to sleep and then we're going to reassess this because you don't seem very well. So they took the baby away for like eight and a half hours and I just slept right. and then I woke up and I was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I was crazy. I could remember everything I'd said and believed to be real, but then I realised then after eight and a half hours sleep that it was delirium. Do you remember the first time meeting your baby and what that was like? Or did you have like yeah. two versions of it? One actually when they were born and then... Well, I was awake when she was born. So like, yeah, I was looking at her and I and I remember it. But I remember like I was so weak, I couldn't hold her. So they put her in my arms and I was going, I'm going to drop her, I'm going to drop her. And I got my partner to take her. So like, yeah, it was a while before... 
I kept, I'd, I'd have her on me and stuff, but I couldn't lift her up for a good few days. What did that feel like? Because obviously there's so much put on that bond. There's so much said about, mm. oh, when you, you when you meet your baby, you're going to feel that instant rush of love and there's going to be a bond like no other. And for so many people, that doesn't happen. So when that doesn't well, happen... Well, I thought she wasn't mine for a while. I was like, that's not my baby. That's totally not what I thought my baby would be like. And I was looking at her and I said... And I'm lucky because my partner's quite like me like he's open yeah I was like do you think that's ours and he was like I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I started emailing doctors saying is there any way like you might have put the wrong embryo <laughs> in me <laughs> but now you can see it like our child's exactly looks like us <laughs> but it's just at the time it was like oh I'm supposed to feel this thing and I don't feel it because I mean I wish we were like giraffe what do they do they just they like give birth and the baby just stands up and then goes and eats leaves independence straight the away got There's time the pile. to recover <laughs> we're just like these kind of like helpless amoebas it must be really hard <laughs> when nothing no part of it went how you imagined it to, it would go yeah but it's so amazing that i got all that later like yeah. so skip forward to now and my my it's really bad to say that my child's like a bit obsessed by me and I really like it (laughs) it's like I'm totally validated (laughs) she sort of looks at me like a big sister like sort of in that awestruck way like what do you think and then if I say anything it's like perfect yeah and if the dad says anything it's like no See, I'm the one that they're like, no, to at the moment. Just so I totally feel that. mum obsessed. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, so how long was it before you felt that you could, because you had your own recovery, how long was it before mm. you felt that you could be that mum? And, and and also you've described it as the saddest time of your life. That yeah. I, I read that and I was like, that's those are powerful words. Yeah, but I wouldn't change it either. And I think it's like, I think it's sort of quite philosophical mm. being sort of the songwriter I am. I look at it in um, the sense that, the, you know, like when we think about bigger ideas like um, the human condition or even the way that religion throughout the years has explained humanity with heaven and hell and all of those things, they're equally as important. And I think sometimes because of the way that society raises us, the only we sort of dismiss negativity as being the thing we don't want and we only want positivity. And actually, you don't get closer to death than birth. And that's what I felt. I felt like it was dark and it was harrowing and it was like my heart broke open. I was like so... I was heartbroken and in love more than I'd ever been and it was a confusing feeling because it's I've never felt that before like that sort of love it's like you're you're reborn almost Mm. it's that you do go it's something that you can't put into words I don't think what that whole experience is like it's so raw and and you feel like we all just go around and 
close. It's just it's just a weird thing that actually in that moment there's something so animalistic about it. Well, however, yeah. that is that that life coming into the world, and it goes against all of social constructs as well. And I think that's really bad. Like I remember saying to my mum, "Why didn't you tell me before? Like you did it. Why didn't you tell me?" She said, "Because you wouldn't have done it." And I was like, "No, I would, but I wish somebody had told me." That's why I like this podcast. I wished that somebody had said heaven and hell do exist on earth and it was both and it still is both like in every situation even like the lockdown me and my partner some nights when my daughter's gone to bed we're like wonder what this would be if we didn't <laughs> like maybe we'd get up at 12 watch a film oh don't with everyone at the moment talking about <laughs> one o'clock in the afternoon have sex just just that yeah just, just that. have sex exactly <laughs> or like and not just go, to go to bed and go should we oh can we just not <laughs> let's just like, <laughs> quick peck on the lips go okay roll over bye-bye who are you <laughs> it's that funny thing at the moment right now i think there is that massive divide of people that are um, that have children at home and have all those responsibilities and that are still trying to juggle their normal workload and people that yeah. have still got their workload but don't have children at home or those yeah. other, you know, aren't caring for people. So, I, I, you know, when I hear of people taking up languages, learning an instrument, I'm like, what? How? <laughs> oh. I know I want to. I want to read a book. I haven't read a book since she was born from cover to cover. Sad, isn't I it? do start, and then I, by the time I pick it up again, I forgot what's happened already. So I'm just going to forget it. Just watch box set. <laughs> I used to be highbrow. <laughs> Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or 
Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Back to your labor and birth, do you feel like it has stayed with you? Um, because obviously you've spoken about it a lot and I think it's amazing because um, I've heard you say a lot about you wish people would told you the truth like you said about your mum yeah. and I think it is important for people to know that birth is lots of things but do you feel like you've been able to because you hear so many people, people who haven't been able to accept the birth that they've had and it kind of sticks with them like a post-traumatic stress and it, yeah. they kind of can't move forward they can, almost can't forgive that that's happened in a way, I, I feel like um, if my child had frozen as a six month old baby, I might be one of those people. But because my child's growing and every day is more rewarding, it feels so worth it. And it does make me want to have another one. And it makes me feel prepared to put myself at that risk again because I am now categorized as high risk. Mm. And um, like, because the scar and everything, they're saying, like, you know, there's a chance that you can rupture if you have, like, an ill for an ill-healed scar. Right. And I'm just like, do you know what? I'll just do it again. It's so weird that somebody would do that, not knowingly, but it's worth it now. And I wouldn't have said that probably for a year. I think it took... I think it took... I think it was a year before I felt like that my baby and I could be two people. Yeah. And I felt like I gave myself away for a year and I didn't enjoy giving myself away. Which is funny when you think about the sort of mum that you thought you were going to be and how nurturing yeah. you you are as a person. Well, I felt that I couldn't do those things because physical stuff, like I felt depleted, I felt depressed mentally and I feel like that's why I'm really loving it now because I'm better yeah and I love like you know the balance I have as well between working and my I'm the breadwinner and I get to like go away from my child which I think is really important for parents to do and come back and be full of ideas and energy and I know she loves it because she's like I'm like today we're gonna like <laughs> I just come up with things like Yesterday we did the feelings train and we built a little train and we'd stopped off at different stops and then talking about which stop expressed and then she was asking the cuddly toys how they were feeling after pretending to be them. Then I was like, how do you feel? What makes you feel these things? You know, like, I love all that stuff. Yeah. Like, I'm in my element. Um, do you feel like I, actually going away and coming back allows you to be creative with her, whereas if you were in absolutely. it the whole time... Yeah, I do. And I think it's really important. And I think, you know, the thing I miss most in this lockdown is the nursery. Yeah. Because I just think that space so that I can like actually like go and buy a book about things or put an activity together or receive a cardboard box and not just see it as a cardboard box. Mm. I like love that. And I'm good at that. But I, it you can't just do that on tap. It's impossible. Like I think you know, a lot of parents in the lockdown are feeling that pressure to like constantly be informative and educational and have all these ideas. And I just don't think 
when it's day in, day out, especially with more than one, that like you can expect yourself or be expected to do that. And it's the space I have that makes me the one who is like that because I go away and then I get invigorated and I also get the validation of strangers, which is my drug, I confess. And then I come back feeling like full of stuff that I'm able to pour back in. And I think, I think that's what I missed um, with a baby. Mm. And I didn't, I also had this thing as well that I, I don't really have that many friends who are successful or wealthy. So I didn't know, I mean, it was never a question to me that I would have help. Like, I didn't want to do that. And I tried when it first started, because obviously my managers wanted me to get back to work because they well, were losing money oh well, yeah um five and a half months before I went back yeah but I did it in increments right so I do like three days a week first and then increase and increase I was advised that I would have a nanny because my partner was working at the time as well and um yeah, and I tried it for a very short period of time and it was really bad for me. It made me want to stop work completely. Was it someone else playing like with it. your baby? Um, it was a combination of someone else being my baby and also I think culturally it doesn't sit right with me. My partner's Algerian and that's like a very family thing. And my mother's from like a big family, British, but yeah. like very working class and um also like my dad's Spanish and I think that's all about family as well so it just didn't it didn't feel right it felt bad for my child almost um and I think I love nursery because it's a social element but this is like one-on-one Mm-hmm. if you have a nanny so I tried it a bit and nearly had a nervous breakdown I was scared of the nanny she was always telling me off for being late and stuff because I have a very open job like you can't sort of say I'm leaving at five yeah. with my job you if you've got 200 people in the room looking at you with cameras on you and whatever you can't go it's five sorry I've got to go because the nanny and my nanny used to like have a go at me because she had a yoga class or something <sighs> how long did you have her like, for mm-hmm. Um, I think about five months. Right. I tried it for, and then and we went on tour, and that was awful because I had like mum guilt. So I would wake up at seven in the morning to be with my child all day, then put her to bed at seven, and then the nanny would sit in the tour bus and like make sure she was okay she woke up or whatever meanwhile I'd be in hair and makeup well doing my own and then walk on the stage and it was arena tour it'd be like anything between 12 and 20,000 people while my baby was asleep on a tour bus and then I'd come home come home to the bus which we slept on about midnight and then I would go to sleep and then wake up at seven again. The next Were you day, able, once you come off, came off stage, to just kind of slip back into mum mode? I know that your baby would have been asleep probably by then, but were you able to just you, kind Yeah, of... I'd put her to sleep and she would never even knew that I was leaving. I, I would have a... I had like a nightlife that she never had any clue because she wouldn't wake up. So yeah. it would be literally like a double life. 
And then when she woke me up in the morning, there'd be no trait, no, like, it was so weird. And then on days off, I'd do it as well. And I think even though I had the nanny there, I just didn't feel, I felt too guilty not to spend any minute with my child when she was awake or on a day off. So I didn't actually have a day off. Yeah. But you'd have um, that adrenaline from coming off stage. You'd have that adrenaline yeah. pumping through you from having that, you know, that experience. Then having to go to the tour bus and sleep, pretty much, like knowing that you'd be up at up seven, at seven. Yeah. or six thirty some mornings, as we know, unpredictably. But also, um, then so then it just didn't sit right with me. I couldn't handle it, and I started to lose the plot a bit, and I was feeling pressure because my partner really wasn't he wasn't working for money he was interning so it was pretty clear that I was either going to have a nervous breakdown or he had to stop Mm. so he stopped and he said I'm going to look after our child and from that day on it was so much better because I didn't feel guilty anymore because I didn't have my dad there as much as I would have liked as a kid so I was giving my child, I felt in psychologically, I was giving my child a gift, like something I didn't have, even though I'm still the favourite. <laughs> <laughs> have you been on tour, like, again since, but now without your child? No, I do sometimes do, so I have like a rule within my own mind that's like, if I have to go to work for five days or, or less, then I go by myself now. Yeah. And if it's more than five days, then I bring my partner and my child as well. It's more for me, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And what I love as well is that you've said you love your job. And actually you have experienced almost guilt for that because you you love your child, but you also love your job. So you actually want to go. Yeah, and actually, so when we were doing the feelings train, which I spoke about yesterday, we arrived at Stop of Sad, and the teddy was sad because no one would play with it. But then I said, "Why? Do you, what makes you sad? And she said, when mummy goes to work. Oh. And then I said, but mummy is happy when I go to work. So it makes me happy. And then she said, you can go to work now. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what's lucky about what I do is like I am sort of the boss of it. So I can bring her with me and I think a lot of people don't have that luxury but my child really doesn't like um sharing me right. so it gets a bit emotional but the older she's getting she's three and a half now so, like, so I guess you're the... gonna have the massive shift as well is she, will she be going to school in this September or next September then the following one so then it will be probably less able to come yeah on things um which but I, I think, wonder if that's another, like, that alleviates pressure again, that guilt again, because they actually, they have somewhere that they have to be. Yeah, they've got the, Well, I feel like that's why I love the nursery so much, because, like, it's amazing when your child starts coming home and saying they love somebody else, or they, like, have a friendship that's exclusive to them. And, like, in this lockdown, you can really see it. Like, I sometimes do, like you know, FaceTimes with nursery friends yeah. or whatever. And they just have this world that they communicate in that's not how they communicate with their parent. And mm-hmm. it's so nice. Makes me feel good that, like, 
she's learning social skills and like although most of it revolves around saying poo to be honest <laughs> at this point oh, all of my kids which is always just... funny <laughs> but it gets to the point doesn't it where it's just like you can't stop it so you've just got to embrace it well my husband writes yeah. books about like dinosaurs that poo so you know i've got to roll with it we'd love that yeah <laughs> how do you feel um having a child has affected your relationship it's affected a lot of like the romance and the love of each other negatively mm-hmm. um but as i keep saying to people it's so strange but he's the person i least hate <laughs> <laughs> like when i think in the concept of like the lockdown yeah i'm so glad that i'm locked down with him and not with my even my best friend or my mum yeah. or like not because I don't love them but because we've just got this way of he just we figured it out like how not to step on each other's toes and we sort of accept um each other for what we are and I think that's really special I think there's I this massive thing as well about comfort being a really negative thing and actually when you find mm. that person that you're comfortable with and you know, we I I feel like there's always gonna be that resentment in parenthood. Like you're always gonna they're the person that you can kind of take that out on, rightly or wrongly. Yeah. And so you know that there's there's no pretense. Yes, and I also think like so both me and my partner grew up in difficult, um aggressive back like environments. And I think that what we're showing our child in the way we deal with conflict and resolution is really important. Like that actually we try, I try, I think it's really important to have conflict in front of your child actually, but like to do it in a measured and proper way. Like, so talk about like, say that hurt my feelings or it's annoying when you do that. And then to show the resolution, like, sorry. And then or whatever, like, it's not as exciting as it was. Like, I think me and my partner had quite a good run. Like, the longest I've had with anyone, really. We had, like, five years where it was just brilliant and it was really romantic and just felt like the one, almost, for want of a better word. But now it's like, no, you're not the one. I hate your guts. (laughs) But we're stuck with each other. (laughs) Well, I think it's that thing of knowing that sometimes it's okay to have those feelings and they go again do you know what I mean it doesn't actually mean anything it just in that moment you're kind of like and then it goes yeah totally and also we have a lot of you know like there's I think our core kind of views on raising the child are the same yeah but there are like the odd niggly things like well I wouldn't do it like that or you know whatever and I'm really bad at not saying things straight away and I think it's bad to say in front of our child that stuff because it's like she's listening and going ooh I quite like that I could wriggle in there and (laughs) take advantage of the disagreement (laughs) yeah mum's right that's it always is I think it's funny that how arguments happen very differently anyway now like I don't know about you two but back when me and Tom first got together I mean we were 18 but it was fiery like we'd have arguments one of us would leave the house whereas now I wouldn't dream of doing anything like that 
It's just we, not dramatic. We never anymore. really did that because we were both terrified of recreating our parents' That's lives. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but I do, yeah, I, it is different. It's like sometimes, do you have text arguments? Oh, no. <laughs> we do. We'll both be like, so on the sofa and then like WhatsApp. Da, 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 I didn't like the way you were. And then she's sitting there watching Iggle Piggle or something. It's just like, oh, you asshole. Oh. <laughs> what parts of your childhood do you want your daughter to have? Um, I think the imagination side of it. Like, I think that I, the reason why I'm creative is because I was raised to like, it's like a famous, is it Magritte painting like this is not a pipe and the picture of the pipe? Right. I think that sort of sums up my childhood. Like, yeah, my mum was like single parent. She was a key worker, worked a lot. She was really hardworking. And I think I got my work ethic from both parents, actually, because they're both really hardworking. Um, but like, say, for example, she would say we're going to go to a restaurant we never went to restaurants because it was too much of an expense but we'd like make one and she would like build a little table outside the house do a tablecloth and like write a menu and decorate it and and it would just literally be like tomato sauce pasta but she'd like describe <laughs> it as tomato glazed roll and I'd just be like oh have the tomato pasta <laughs> But I was like five and I just thought she was amazing. I thought it was magical. And I feel like that's the sort of thing that I try and do. Like, especially in lockdown, all that stuff really coming in handy. Like, yeah. today we're going to the beach and then, like, we beat, build a beach and we all, like, put shorts on. Or, like, today we're going to, we made, like, a whole village out of a cardboard box um, with all our toy cars going round and... Yeah, and I also think as well, emotionally, my mum was very open and I think that's really important. Like, I talk to my three-year-old a lot about the virus and how it makes us feel and nothing's dismissed. I'm not pretending that it's all good, but I'm not... It's not all doom and gloom either. It's just, like, about that kind of dialogue and I think I grew up with that and so that's why I've been branded as, quote... Uh, refreshingly honest <laughs> but I don't know anything else it's just because that's how I was raised it's like yeah. that you know you've got to accept your true feelings and that we're all human beings and sometimes we have bad thoughts and then we don't want them to even enter our minds mm -hmm. I mean like sometimes times in lockdown I I just say all right when I go out I'm gonna have a big affair <laughs> of course I'm not I wish that didn't even come into my head but some days you're just sitting there just so bored you're just like right that's it <laughs> I'm gonna really <laughs> spice things up when I leave quarantine <laughs> yeah they're like the, the honest thing is you get out and you're like but then we are not him <laughs> I think the first thing we'll do when we leave the house is probably get 10 like 10 steps and go actually I'm just gonna go back it's I'm safer tired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing which is uh, surprising that I'm bringing up because you have said daughter the whole way through this mm. episode and this chat, but it came up a lot that you were, there was this big thing made about um, you raising your child gender neutrally. And I, yeah. and so I've done more research and I've seen that you've actually talked about how that was completely taken out of context in the first place. So, 
Yeah, so when I, obviously I told you it took me about a year to recover, I think, mentally, and about six months to recover physically. Yeah. Um, and probably all in all, I'd say two years fully, um, both ways. And actually there were things physically that I weren't going to do till that still are <laughs> no, <laughs> but that's the thing, though, isn't it? But, so all that stuff happens, though, and you're meant to just be like, "Yeah, it's fine. Like, it's all fine." Yeah, like, and don't talk about it, and it's just annoying. But like, um, so yeah, so so the reason why at first I didn't say the gender was because I didn't want any information about my child because I think that at times there's a toxicity about. Um, being a celebrity and I think that that's a choice I made like the good outweighs the bad for me but I don't want to make that choice for a child so originally I didn't say any details so I didn't want even my child's gender to be out there but it was partially because I was in this mother instinct like protective and the animal that we talked about Mm -hmm. earlier was there and it stayed for a long time it stayed till she was about two and then now it's like, well, no one's going to sort of like narrow it down to boy or girls, not really that bad. So I'll just say it. And I think the media interpreted it because of like my background as being arty and like very LGBTQIXYZ about life. I feel like um, they just interpreted it that way. Also, I did say in one interview, and they put those two things together that. I wasn't going to raise my child with gender-specific toys, which yeah. is not revolutionary on any level. Like, I was not raised with them yeah. either, and I'm, you know, a generation before. So it's not exactly like, oh, my God, how innovative <laughs> or how terrible. And I had people calling me a child abuser online for saying that. Um, Isn't that is crazy weird. how that's, that's something... That you've said that isn't a massive deal at all, that has been no. twisted so much. Yeah, and I think that's sort of part and parcel of why I didn't want the information. And I still sort of withhold that. So if I'm with my child in public and somebody comes over and asks to have their picture taken with me, I never do it. At this moment, my child has no idea that I'm famous or that I'm different to anyone else. She does know that I go on TV because she's seen it, but she has no concept that that makes people treat me differently yeah like and sometimes somebody might come over and say something to me and she'll say why are they doing that and I just say because they like mummy singing but I don't really like make it into a thing like well there's people like me who are really (laughs) special because it's absolute nonsense I just think that everyone is on tv they're just like can I watch this person yeah and I think as well like when I talk to my child about jobs, like what job do you want to do? I'm really trying to force it home, like help people, help people. Yeah. Like I'd be so proud if my child ended up being a nurse or, or an ambulance person or a care worker or um, somebody who makes waves in the charity sector. Like, I mean, I, that's really what I, I would love. Obviously you can't, train your child to do those things but I'm trying to instill like empathy as a you know and the most important factor and I kind of hope that the reason why I am 
successful is because of empathy, not because of anything else. Like mm. I, I hope that it's because I've articulated a universal feeling of like the human condition, which is hopefully helpful in some way. Because if it wasn't, I'd probably just retire and do something else. <laughs> but um, that was the root of it. I didn't want. I don't want her to know until she needs to know. And I also don't want her or anyone, for that matter, to see me differently because I'm very honest about the stuff. Like, for example, in this quarantine. I am honest about the fact that I have a back garden. I think that I am so fortunate. Yeah. I think that it, I attribute it's such small things that help you mentally, and I'm so grateful for that. And I like, I mean, I think it's awful that people are in situations, for example, where, for example, when they shut down Brockley Park in South London and the media was like people going out sunbathing and it was appalling behaviour and it's like well actually that whole place is surrounded by blocks of flats that have yeah. no outdoor space and and like very little if balconies at all so and it was hot like we had no choice like do you know what I mean yeah, so yeah. I do want my child to have a good start in life like as a individual that makes her own way that's why my child goes to state school nursery and will go to state school and that's why I had my child on the NHS and will always support the NHS and I do have my child on the NHS and then I do donation or whatever because I want to keep it yeah. going and I don't want to like take from too much you know yeah 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 Another so thing you've spoken about is um, is that longing for another for another child, and yeah. the fact that you've had miscarriages since. Yeah, and I think it's so important. And that I also that don't know if now because of COVID, I don't know if now I'll ever have another one because of my age and because we don't know how long this is going to go on for, or if that will be last on the list of priorities or even if it's really a good idea to try and conceive another baby if there's going to be a second wave I mean it's really sad and harrowing to hear what some pregnant women are enduring yeah. and you read these stories and also like we know people who've had COVID and had to have their babies prematurely and been very sick so um, is it something that you've had to think about you know is it is it the idea of not even going again and trying again, is that something that you've thought about during lockdown? It is, and actually I think the lockdown and the situation has made it easier because when I started to have the, the um, miscarriages and stuff, I started to come to that view like, oh, my God, I might not have another one, and I was really upset. And now I feel like this is making me grateful for what I do have. Yeah. My perspective on this whole lockdown has been like, I'm so lucky that I have a child because some people won't have one because of this ever. Yeah. I'm so lucky that I have a partner that I can tolerate. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I am lucky that I've got money for food and um, that I... You know, you know, all those things that everyone's watching this thinking about me. Well, you know, she's rich, she's bloody, whatever. It's like, 
I'm just, I, I'm aware. <laughs> everyone. <laughs> um, I didn't. I, I, I made some good decisions, and I had some luck, and I worked really hard to get to a point where I have a certain level of security that I'm happy about. And I think if I don't get to have another child because of this, I'm just going to focus on those things. Yeah. It is amazing that you shared the fact that you had those miscarriages in the first place before coming to this point now. Because I think so many people go through it and it is still something that whenever miscarriage is talked about on the podcast, there's always someone that's been through it that doesn't feel heard, that feels like they're the only one that's experienced it, that they've failed. Um, so I think it's really important that even that is discussed and, the, and you've spoken about it publicly. Well, I think what I'm talking about is something called secondary infertility. Mm-hmm which is what I've been labelled with, which is somebody who didn't have any problems with fertility and then the birth of their first child causes problems for their future fertility. Yeah. Um, so, like, that's why I had a miscarriage, apparently. How far along? Do you mind if I ask how far along no. you were with those? Well, obviously, when you're doing IVF, you know everything very yeah. quickly, so it was quite early on. Um, so I think six weeks or something, like some people wouldn't even know they're pregnant then, but I definitely do. Oh my God, my boobs, they're ridiculous. (laughs) I know after a week. But your mind goes somewhere, doesn't it? When you are, when you know that you're pregnant, your mind goes somewhere. And I don't think it matters how long you sit in that pregnancy for, you, you're all your hopes and dreams. You, you, yeah. you envisaged your your children playing together and what life would look like. I was so so happy about it. I was also on set filming the TV show that I'm in called Pennyworth, which I act in, and um, I hadn't like said I was pregnant because it was only about six weeks, and I was miscarrying on set. I had a miscarriage on set, and I just kept acting, and I went to the toilet about nine times. I just like kept doing it and then I I actually spoke about it since because I was a bit like I didn't want them to think that I was like either a drug addict or like (laughs) you know (laughs) just like you know I was having a miscarriage I didn't really want to tell you at the time because I didn't want anyone to like stop because it was helping me it was actually helping me to keep working even though it was kind of painful it was helping me to just be doing something else that was my thing well, because there's such an there's such an emptiness that comes with miscarriages. For me, I found like it was like a void. So to be able to fill it with something like mm. working, I literally had a friend come over and we stuck stickers on boxes for her wedding. But just having yes, that you've thing got to, to do, do something, mm. yeah, and that's what I felt. And so, yeah, I just kept doing it, and that, and I know the scene, so it's it's I know the scene. I I watch it because it's in the first series, and I could see it. Like, I was like, oh, that was them. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like you can see it in, in you? that, Or is it just something you can relate to that? Not really, but I just know that was when... You couldn't tell yeah. in my performance. My character's very kind of bound up anyway. She's quite um, a mess psychologically, so it's probably helpful. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think your confidence has changed in motherhood? Um, I feel 
more confident in strange ways. Yeah. So, so um, before I was very kind of, um, I would never like show my body. Now I'm just like, yeah, I can't wait to be naked. And it's rubbish compared to what it was when I should <laughs> I have been showing it. I think it. back to myself 18 and I'm like, why? <laughs> it's like in the bath the other night, my daughter was like, we were in the bath, she was like lifting my boob going, why are they down? <laughs> and I was like, because you ruined them. <laughs> what did I do? I said, you took all the milk out and now they're empty. <laughs> like my soul. No joking. It's well, not. did breastfeeding but go well for you? It was like my attitude towards work was my attitude towards breastfeeding, which was like, I will not be defeated and I'm going to be determined about doing this and I really regret that attitude really I think if I had another baby I would probably breastfeed for maybe the first month and then get on the bottle straight away I did seven and a half months breastfeeding including expressing and freezing and losing those awful moments where you like do something wrong and you have to throw all that breast oh. milk down the sink because yeah. you've expressed it all and then oh the fridge went off and it was like a bit thawed and then it wasn't healthy. And it's like, oh, I was crying that day, like pouring breast milk down the drain. But like, um, I did it and there were moments towards the end of doing it where I thought it was beautiful and special. But the majority of the time it was painful. It hurt me. And I actually was hoping that by doing it, I'd lose all the baby weight. And it wasn't until I stopped that I lost it. Unlike my best friend, who became emaciated. <laughs> There's all these different things. You're really it? angry about. <laughs> I was like, it's going to come off soon. Just keep going. Keep sucking, keep sucking. <laughs> yeah, it didn't do that for me. It stopped when I went to the bottle. And then it was like, all this stuff happens. It's like the clouds clear, like the sun comes out when you put your baby on a bottle and like they suddenly sleep longer and like they seem more content and they don't have the same colic I don't know what was in my breast milk but it was making my child like really it was like hard to digest or something yeah whereas the formula wasn't it was like just a happy baby <laughs> and I was happier as you say in your podcast yeah. so yeah if I was to have another one I probably wouldn't I'd probably try it for a bit and then I'd stop at the first sign of any problems because I had the mastitis as well as the womb infection and that was really Physically, bad. you've taken a right battering. Yeah, it was, it was awful. I had it very badly, so I was like shivering and convulsing in bed and I had to go on a drip in my bed because the doctors thought it was shouldn't go to the hospital I was so sick since that that was just from mastitis yeah I'm like a real advertisement any new <laughs> pregnant women watching welcome to hell <laughs> but I think when you're talking about all that physical stuff though it's it's no wonder all that physical and that would be pain that you're experiencing from wherever in your body it's no but wonder I'm you so have stubborn I was on... feeding through it with mastitis I didn't even touch a bottle I was like it was bleeding and I was feeding and I was just like I will not and I was just like so I look back and I just think if I could talk to myself what were you doing it's okay to put your baby on a bottle it really doesn't 
it won't affect the relationship. The relationship yeah. is built on, like you say, both baby and mum being happy. Mm-hmm. And also it's built on the fact that you are like a constant in that baby's life and you pour love into it in whatever way it manifests. Um, and that sort of happens. And then one day when they can first speak and their first words, mama, yeah. even though you put them on a bottle, really you're like, oh, you do love me. <laughs> <laughs> and now that's all I ever hear. Like I can hear it through the ceiling. Like this is my basement where I like record music and do a bit of gym. And I've got my mannequin and a few coats. But this is what I call my man cave. Because <laughs> that's what in society it's meant to be, except I'm that person. Um, and I can just, all day long, every time I take the headphones off or whatever, I can just hear, Mama! <laughs> <laughs> Glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> Do you experience mum guilt? All the time. And I feel like I'm damned if I do and damned if I don't. Like, yeah. I feel so passionate about my work as a musician and an actress I feel like almost like a responsibility to keep doing that Mm -hmm. because I know that there are people waiting for it and who like like it and it's become you know I've been I think it's been about 11 12 years in the public eye and I think people have you know I've got fans that remember me from when they were 10 yeah. and now they're 21 and they're sort of like I've grown up with you where are you I need the next album or whatever so I feel that and then I also feel like every time I leave that I'm taking something away from her but I've started to try and think differently about that and I've started also and I think this is really important that working mums do this I've started to come home and talk about why I loved my work today and I think it's important for her to hear what I did and why it makes me happy. And then I've started to hear how that's coming through because now she says, when I'm bigger, I might be this. And then I'll come and tell you what I did. You know, like, it's really like going in. I think that's important that I also have so much respect for the women who stay at home. I cannot, I just don't know how they do it because... It's harder. Yeah, I do think so. Yeah, I do. It's because you're not getting that break. Work. You're not You're not no. having any chance to be you, whether that's Paloma Faith the singer or whatever it is. You're not Or just someone asking your opinion and valuing it. Mm-hmm. Like saying, oh, I've put these two images together. Like, which one do you think is the best one? Like, oh, well, I think, oh, yeah, actually, you're right. That's so amazing for your, like, for your sense of self and your yeah. sense of inner personal joy and I think everyone's different like you said happy mum happy baby and I was depressed because I wasn't at work and I missed work so much it was like I realized it was what I do is one of the greatest loves of my life and I was heartbroken not to be with the love of my life which is that and the first day that I I remember like when we went on that tour that I told you about and I walked on stage in front of 20,000 people and my baby was asleep on the tour bus and I was I was just winding myself up on the side of the stage thinking, she's waking up, she's waking up. And I texted the girl who was looking after 
don't know if she woke up. Is she awake? And she said no. And I was literally just breathed and walked onto stage in front of that many people. And I just burst out crying. I didn't even <laughs> do the first song. And they, they were like looking at me like it was a bit of a weird start. And I was like, I'll just come off maternity leave. I'm an emotional wreck. <laughs> Everyone started clapping. And I was like, I'm really sorry, but things just got really real in my life. And I can't stop thinking about... And then it got to the point where halfway through the gig, I was like, just hold on a second, I'm just going to text. And I just, like, I was on the stage at the O2 <laughs> and I texted the girl. <laughs> Everyone was laughing about it. I bet every mum in the crowd it. went, yep, let's just yeah, check it. Yeah, they were laughing and, like, loving it. <laughs> yeah. Because... And then she sent me a picture of baby's sleep, of the baby's sleep. I was like... Oh, it's got a picture. Great, <laughs> let's go on. What's the next? But that's song? so real. I love it. <laughs> it's just funny. It's like, yeah, it was like I was lucky that I can do that. Yeah, and I was lucky that my demographic is, you know, a generation of people that know what that's like and mm-hmm. empathise with it, and that we all want to buy songs about that. Yeah, you know. It's like multi-generational. It's like children, mums and their mums. Yeah. So it's kind of like amazing to have that. Well, so I wrote, I recently wrote a book called Letters on Motherhood, which is of me kind of thinking about a lot of different... It covers all areas and it's letters to the boys, letters to Tom, letters to strangers, other mums, letters to different bodily like body parts that yeah. I feel like I have to accept and send a bit of love to. Um, if you had to write a letter on motherhood, who would it be to and what would it say? Because I feel like this is what you've, you're you doing an album on this right now. I am, and I've, well, there's a song on my last album called The Architect, which is Mother Nature singing to humanity, her, one of her children. And there's also one called My Body, which is a song, a love song to my body that I wrote after giving birth mm. because of that. So I I am writing those letters. And I actually do write letters to my child quite often. Like every couple of weeks I try and write her a letter that she can open when she's older. Yeah. So that she understands what was happening when she was a kid. And actually right now that's a really good thing to do because this is quite historical. But yeah, um, i probably write one to my mother. And I, I think that... I should probably write one to her. Really? So I'm a, I'm a product of an experimental drug for women who had brain tumours in their um, reproductive gland, the pituitary gland. So I wouldn't exist without medicine either. Yeah. I just feel grateful to her because I know now how hard it is. And I think she did a really good job. Like, I feel very equipped. I feel mm-hmm. like she gave me the equipment to be the person that I am and I attribute a lot of my success to that. I attribute my resilience to it because she can be very harsh. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard you talking about your mum. <laughs> and also my grounded nature is <laughs> the same. But also, yeah, the work ethic, um, a kind of the empathy... The fact that I can walk into a room and feel what people are feeling. I always know everyone's scared of me because they're like, don't go near her because she'll know. I'm like, you're not feeling good. What's happening? Tell me. 
um, yeah, so all of that stuff is, and also I think um, a sense of worthiness. I think my mum installed that in me. I think the reason why I've got the confidence to sit and tell you that my body's not what it used to be and that I had a miscarriage and tell you all that stuff without regret or embarrassment is because my mum always made me feel like warts and all I was worthy of being here that's amazing yeah because I think there is I feel like there's a big not a push for honesty but I think the more open and honest people are the more people can forgive themselves because I don't think everyone is ready to talk not everyone feels that they can talk about you know whether it's whatever it is totally. and, and and I but I think hearing other people vocalize them make other people feel fine you know they, they know yeah. they're not on their own they've not failed which so much of parenthood feels like failure but it's not no and I think as well when I was growing up, and this is something that I really understand now and I didn't understand then, there was interval, there were moments in my life where even as a young kid, my mum would say sorry to me. And I'd, she, we might be like walking along, not, nothing would have happened. And she'd say, I'm sorry that I, I wasn't always great. Like, I'm sorry I put, when I put you under pressure, when I divorced your dad. And I used to ask you all those questions about what this new woman was wearing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, don't worry about that. Like, I get it. But she would take the time to say sorry. And I think it's really important when you're growing up, and I try to do the same with my kids, that by saying sorry, you also acknowledge that we're all fallible. Even like yeah. the best mother in the world is not great on some days. And I say to my child, like, please, can you stop waking me up in the middle of the night? And I'll tell you why. Because I get grumpy, then I get grumpy, and then I don't talk to you in the way that I want to talk to you. And sometimes I upset you and I make you cry because I'm snappy. Mm -hmm. That's because I can't cope with the fact you keep waking me up, which is a thing at the moment. <laughs> but I've got some sort of sticker system going on, which seems to be working. Touch me nice. so far. <laughs> <laughs> um but I do think all of that is like yeah I think that's why I'm grateful to my mum I love that um we end every uh, every episode with you finishing three sentences uh, okay so the first one is being a mum means there'll be someone to definitely love you until they're at least 16 <laughs> <laughs> After that, forget it. <laughs> After that, they might change their mind. <laughs> Since having a child, I... Have accepted myself. And I'm happy when... I go to work. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That was so nicely rounded from the conversation before. I love it. <laughs> Paloma, thank you so much for the first like record like remote recording that we've done so thank you so oh, much it's been a pleasure thank to you kind for of having meet me you i'm this. so honored to meet you and i love what you're doing i think it's so important oh thank you i promise to inappropriately hug you when we actually do yeah. meet i'll die mask and, and glove free <laughs> <laughs> well thank Bye. you so much <laughs> <laughs>